Welcome to another inspirational message from Chowdean Community Church, Gateshead. For more information about Chowdean, visit www.chowdean.org.uk. We hope you enjoy the podcast. What are you going to talk about today? I'm going to talk about uh, the relationships of young people. So we're uh, partway through a series where we're looking at relationships, looking at relationships that uh, men have, relationships that women have, and also relationships that young people have as well. We're doing young people today. Brilliant. I can't put the name Tim Norman without thinking about youth. Yeah. I even got it on on my badge as well, youth leader. Good. So he's got an extension to his name. (laughs) So Heavenly Father, we bring Tim uh, before you this morning, Lord, and we we just um, can't wait to hear what um, you're going to impart to us through Tim. And we just pray, Lord, that uh, his words may be very clear into our heads, into our ears, and that we may begin to want to be challenged. So we just commit Tim, Lord, before you as he brings his message, your message to us, Lord. We just thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Can everyone hear me okay? Yes, good. Uh, So we're going to start off by reading uh, from the book of Ruth. We're going to read from chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 6 to 18. This will appear up behind me on this PowerPoint, hopefully very soon. There you are. Uh, So you can read it along up there, and that is the same version up there that I have down here. But you can also read along in your own Bibles if you want. So Ruth, chapter 1, verses 6 to 18. Then Naomi arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters, why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters. For it is exceedingly bitter for me for your sake, that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. Now today we are talking about young people, and we're talking about the relationships that young people have. Um, And to do this, we're going to focus on two stories, and I want you to concentrate on those two stories, because there will actually be a test. I will test you on those two stories and the differences between them. Uh, So one is the story of Rebecca, a true story that happened in the last couple of years, and the other is the story of Naomi, which is much more famous, and a segment of which I just read out then. Now that happened over 3,000 years ago. 
And as I tell you these stories, I would like you to compare them. I would like you to think about the differences in them, and I would think, like you to think about the similarities in them as well. Now, Rebecca was a university student a few years back. Uh, she was relatively ordinary in many respects. Uh, as far as I'm aware, her grades were good, her social life was good, and university life was treating her fairly well. And like most university students, including myself, uh, Rebecca found herself a friendship group, and then during her second year, she moved in with several of them. It was an all-girl house, they all got on, and they all liked going out together, and they all had a great time. But then Rebecca fell ill. She developed an illness that I can't fully describe, and I can't tell you what it's called because I never actually found out its name. But it manifested itself in attacks uh, that would make her unable to go out, they would make her afraid, and they would make her experience an awful lot of pain. And for a long time, she didn't know what caused those attacks. And one night, I was hanging out with a friend of mine, and this friend and I had a whole evening planned. We were going to have a meal, possibly go to the cinema, and we were going to have a thoroughly chilled-out night. But about five minutes after I arrived at her house, the telephone rang. It was Rebecca. Rebecca was in the middle of an attack, and she was really worried, and she wanted my friend to come and to help her. Now, I wanted to really chill out that night, but my friend immediately informed me that we were dropping all of our plans, and we were going to head over, and we were going to help Rebecca. And when we arrived, Rebecca met us at the door, and it was immediately uh, apparent that she was not well. She was as white as a sheet, and she was shaking uncontrollably. So depositing me in, uh, in the living room, uh, my friend and Rebecca went into the kitchen to talk. Now, this left me alone in a group of house of people that I had never met before. And as I sat there doing absolutely nothing but sipping from a glass of water that one of them gave me, I noticed something about the house. Everyone in it was getting ready to go out. People were putting on their makeup, and they were coming in different dresses every five minutes and asking how, how they looked, and they were getting their drinks with them ready to take um, to the party. Now, these were Rebecca's closest friends, yet none of them were willing to stay behind, and none of them were willing to look after her. None of them took her to the hospital that night, a place that she eventually ended up in, and that was why Rebecca had to call my friend, she wasn't really that close with, because nobody in her house was willing to stay with her. Now, over the past few years, Rebecca has recovered amazingly, and I met her for a second time a few months ago, and she was unrecognizable she had recovered so much. Yet that night still lingers in my mind. Everyone was going out to have fun without her, and they were just going to leave her. Now, Naomi's story is a lot more well-known. Uh, Naomi was an Israelite. She lived just over 3,000 years ago. And her and her husband, Elimelech, lived in Bethlehem, which is a place you might know from other stories. During that time, Israel was hit by a famine, and Elimelech, Naomi, and their two sons decided to move to Moab, where they reckoned they would be better off. Now, there the two sons married Moabite women. But Elimelech and his two sons then died, and they left Naomi and her daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth, in a world that was notoriously unkind to women without male protection. And uh, Naomi, uh, hearing that God had brought the Israelite famine to an end, decided to head home. But she pled with her daughters-in-law not to come with her. And that is the segment I read, read to you earlier. She pled with her daughters-in-law. She begged them not to come with her. Because their chances of finding a husband in Israel was not very high. But their chances of finding a husband back in Moab was a lot better. And when um, Orpah returned home, Ruth refused to. And she stayed with Naomi, and she pledged to stay with her and her people. Now, at first, when they arrived home, they lived in bitterness and poverty. Naomi, Naomi even got everyone to call her Mara, which means bitter. But then a glimmer of hope arrived. And there was a guy called Boaz who diligently followed God's law. 
And one of those laws required that farmers leave some food in the fields for the poor to harvest. Now, Boaz dutifully did this, and Ruth managed to scrape, together enough, scrape it together enough to live. But then Boaz went above and beyond what he was required to do by the law, and he gave Ruth more than she needed. He gave her abundant resources. Then, in an Old Testament-style twist, it turned out that Boaz was a relative of Naomi, and therefore had a legal responsibility to look after them. Boaz married Ruth. They lived happily ever after. And it turns out that Ruth went on to be the great-great-grandmother of King David, and therefore was an ancestor of Jesus. Now, those are two stories from several thousand years apart, two stories from 3,000 years apart. But there are similarities and there are differences between them. And what I'm going to do now is I'm going to test everyone in this room on what they noticed about those two stories. So I would like everyone in this room to get in a group of three with the people around you. You can do twos if you want. If you're sitting by yourself, move closer with someone else, and you're going to discuss this question. It's going to come up on the board in a second. So everyone move together. Is there anyone in the room who, is, who doesn't have someone they can talk to? Great. Um, so the question that's coming up on the board is, what are the differences between the stories of Rebecca and the story of Naomi? And you can have three minutes to discuss this, and then I'm going to take some feedback, and I will pick on you if you don't say anything. Great. Right. So, first of all, let's start with similarities. Does anyone see any similarities between uh, the story of Rebecca and the story of Ruth and Naomi? Stick your hands up if you have one, or I will pick on you. Yes, there, what was it? Okay, um, so for the benefit of the recording, you said Naomi was, was determined to do it on her own. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of determined people involved in this. Uh, do you have any other um, similarities in the room? There's one at the back there, wasn't there? Yes, what, what is that? One group of friends that were leaving and then called another to stay to help. Yeah, so in both, there are people who leave and people who stay. Um, so for uh, Rebecca, she had a group of friends uh, that left and went out, and then she had my friend who came and helped. And with Ruth, she had Orpa who left, and she had, sorry, with Naomi, she had Orpa that left, and she had Ruth that stayed. Yes, uh, do we have any differences? What are the differences between the two stories? Another one from the back again there. Uh, with uh, Naomi, it was, all, all the people were family. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in the other situation, Rebecca, it was all friends. Yeah, so there are different relationships involved here. That is, that is another one. Uh, it's also to remember that a lot of the people that left Naomi behind actually left because they died, and therefore that was no fault of their own. Um, and Orpah as well, she kind of did, she did need to go back uh, in order to survive. Yes? Uh, Ruth married Boaz. Mm-hmm. How about you and Rebecca? <laughs> no. You see, I think that wouldn't go down very well with my girlfriend if I married Rebecca. Especially because the friend in my story who went to help Rebecca was actually my girlfriend. So it definitely wouldn't, go, wouldn't end very well there. <laughs> yeah. Plus, I've only met Rebecca once or twice. Um, yeah, do we have any other differences? No, that's all right. So, uh, the difference for me boils down to some of the words uh, that are used, uh, and particularly to some of the commitments and pledges that were made. And these are words that should shake us, these are words that should inspire us, and these are words that should also fill us with joy. Uh, you see, both stories feature a dark moment for the main characters. 
In Rebecca's, her friends abandoned her, and she had to reach out to my friend for help. Now, my friend and her didn't even know each other very well. She was just the only person who would come. Now, in Naomi's story, something very different happened. Because on the journey back, husbandless and having lost everything, Naomi tells our daughters to leave her behind because it is in their best interest to do so. It would serve them best if they were to go back to Moab, find a husband, and live in safety. But Ruth replies with something that Rebecca's friends never said. She says, Where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Now, in those words lie an example for all of, us, all of us of what true love should look like. Let's hear them again. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Now, it is in those words, I believe, lie a great example for young people today and speak to many of the things that my generation has got wrong. And in fact, many of the things that the generations before me have got wrong as well. They tell us in our relationships, we need to live with one another. They tell us in our relationships, we need to worship with one another. And crucially, they tell us in our relationships, we need to die with one another. So firstly, in our relationships, we need to live together. We need to go together. Now, personally, I think the words, where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge, should shake us a little bit. They should make us question where it is that we are going. Because my generation is a fiercely individualistic one. Uh, One lecture I have called Millennials, uh, which are those people who are born between the years 1985 and the year 2000, they called them altruistic individualists. Now, for those of you who lost uh, or have forgot your dictionaries this morning, uh, that means young people who are obsessed with doing good. We want to help people and we want to do what is right. But it also means that we are self-obsessed. We don't just want people to be helped. We want to be the ones to help them. We want to be able to say that I have helped this person, that I have done good because it makes us feel good. To put it mildly, often when helping others, and even when helping others, my generation is a self-obsessed one. And in many ways, many ways we are a generation that worships the self We have grown up asking the question, who am I? And we have been told, you are whoever you want to be. So we spend a lot of time crafting our looks, our lives, our identity. And we spend a lot of time being introspective. We fiercely defend our personal rights. And the slogan of my generation is, what does it have to do with you? It's my life. And a lot of good stuff has come out of that sort of approach. We live in a time of personal freedom. But there is a dark side to it as well. Because we ditch friends when they aren't making us happy. We end relationships simply because the other person is a burden on our personal freedom. When Rebecca became ill, she was ditched by her friends. They prioritized themselves more than staying and looking after her. Personal sacrifice is being replaced with personal investment. I will serve you. I will give to you only if I get something out of it, something that I want or something that I need. Our moral code is not do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But if you're nice to me, I'll be nice to you back. But that's just not the picture the Bible gives us of how relationships should work. The Bible gives us something much more beautiful. It shows us friendships, it shows us marriages, it shows us communities and even kingdoms where everyone doesn't function as their own island. but They live lives that are entwined with one another. 
And that is what Ruth pledges to do. She pledges to live her life with Naomi, to stick by her, to follow her, to be her friend, to be her daughter. And that pledge that she makes binds her to Naomi. And today we need not to be afraid to get close to people, to live alongside people, to commit to them. In another part of the, of the Bible, the book of Acts, the church is pictured as a community that lives, loves, and shares with one another. It is a beautiful thing. It is a joyful thing. And they share amongst themselves, making sure the needy have food, making sure widows are looking, looked after. The example that Ruth sets is of a person focused not on themselves, but on others. She follows God's example in doing that, and we should too. But that's not all. See, Ruth doesn't just pledge to live with Naomi. She pledges to worship with her. In our relationships, we need to worship together. See, the central part of Ruth's promise is your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Now, for Ruth to truly go with Naomi, the God of the Moabites would have to be left behind and the God of Israel, the God of the world, would have to be embraced. Because at the heart of this is a recognition that God has an important role to play in our relationships. This isn't a two-way transaction between Naomi and Ruth. God's in there too. In fact, he's not only right in the middle of Ruth's promise, but he binds that promise together at the end. As Ruth says, may the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. Let's never make the silly mistake of thinking that love is somehow divorced from God. See, God exists as Trinity, as three people, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, in an eternal, loving relationship. His very essence is love. That is why the Bible says God is love. Any love without him is a shadow of what love can be, but any love with him, that is a glorious masterpiece. In our relationships, we must put God at the center. We must pray with each other. We must worship with each other, challenge each other. And we must ask that God might fill us with his love. Now, once again, that's a little different to how my generation does things. See, we're all up there with love. Love is awesome. We even have marches to the slogan of love is love. But we aren't really that interested in worship, prayer, and obedience to God. And for many of the more optimistic members of my generation, love itself acts as something of a God, as something that we believe can transform the world by itself. And there's a lot of good about that. But the slogan that Christians march to is not is love. Love without him just doesn't really cut it for me. Love without him shouldn't really cut it for you, and love without him shouldn't cut it for the people outside this room either. Because when God is placed at the heart of relationships, whatever form of relationship that might be, it can't help but brighten up your day. It can't help but put a smile on your face. Because he inspires selflessness, he inspires forgiveness, and he binds the two of you together in a common experience, in a common journey, and a common joy. But you might be wondering, what about the relationships we have with people who aren't Christians? And if you aren't wondering that, and you don't know anyone who isn't a Christian, you should get out more, because there are loads of people out there who aren't Christians. Well, this is one of the reasons why Christian friendships should be distinctive and work differently. However, if you are friends with someone who isn't a Christian, you can still put Christ at the center of your relationship. You can pray for them, offer to pray for them, be kind to them, encourage them, seek to live like Christ even when they aren't. Obey Christ even when they don't see the point. 
Because in our relationships, we need to live with one another. In our relationships, we need to worship with one another. I'd like to invite the band up at this point. Now, for the fun bit. Ruth promises that where you die, there I will be buried. Sometimes living alongside people is not enough. Sometimes worshipping with people just isn't enough. But please don't take this bit too literally, because when Ruth pledged this, she expected that Naomi and her were probably going to die. They had no protection. They had no real means of income, and they were going to be at the mercy of whoever it was that they came across. They might live in poverty for a while, but that wasn't a recipe for a good life. That wasn't a recipe for a long life, and that wasn't a recipe for a healthy life. Now, Ruth could have left. Rebecca's friends left. As far as I'm aware, on the night out they went on, they had a great time. But Ruth chooses to do something differently. Now, most of us here aren't in the same situation that Naomi and Ruth are in. And as far as I'm aware, no one here is stranded in the Middle East in the middle of a famine. But there is a principle that we can take. In our relationships, we need to be willing to go through the tough times as well as through the good. And I don't mean that we should let other people hurt us and that we should put up with it. That is not what this story teaches. But what I'm saying is, like Ruth, we need to be willing to stand with our friends as they suffer and not just when the going is good. Because how many of us have been abandoned by friends in times of need? How many of us have abandoned friends? It may not have been a dramatic thing. It might have just become really awkward to pop round or really awkward to drop them a text. But stick by your friends as they suffer. Simply sit with them in silence if necessary. You don't need to fix their problems. Ruth, Ruth never pretends that she can fix Naomi's problems. But you can be a comfort to them. And if we are to live with our friends, we must stay with them when they experience pain. If we are to worship with our friends, we must pray with them when they are hurting. After all, do we not follow a God who is close to us? A God who didn't sit in heaven while we suffered on earth, but came down and experienced that suffering for himself. Did Jesus not see his friends die? Did Jesus not sit with those who were sick? Did Jesus not give his life for his friends? Now, Ruth is an example for each and every one of us, young and old, and she is particularly relevant today. I truly believe that just as God uses Ruth and her love and her commitment to change the world by making King David and Jesus amongst her descendants, when it looked like all was lost, I believe that if we love like her, God can use that love today to change this world. So let's tell this world a better story of relationships through how we live with each other. Let's tell this world a better story of relationships with how we worship with one another. And let's tell this world a better story of relationships through how we suffer with one another as well. This is the end of this message. We hope you enjoyed it. If you want to find out more about our church, please visit www.chowdean.org.uk and please take a minute to rate our podcast on iTunes. 